Chapter 7. So What's the Curse? Commences with a quote by Charles Dickens. Reflect upon your present blessings, of which every man has many, not on your past misfortunes, of which all men have some. I don't want to do a blessings bragathon, but in light of this book's title, and just so you know a little of where I'm writing from, I feel I should count my blessings for you, in summarised shorthand at least. However, before I do, I should also clarify that it's not as though bad things have never happened to me. It's fair to say that no real tragedies have come my way yet, but there have certainly been times of sadness, despair and loss, times of crying out to a God who seemed very distant or just disinterested. Life hasn't been all roses. But this book is not about my painful times or losses. It's about the struggles I've faced dealing with the blessings in the bright times, the seasons of plenty and promise. If, through circumstances or misfortune, you've never had the opportunity to live in times of plenty and promise, then you may find it difficult to understand how being excessively blessed can be a burden. And I can't ask you to. In the same way, I cannot understand the immeasurable pain of a person born into a community at war who sees loved ones tortured and killed before their eyes. I can only try. Having worked in the humanitarian sector for five years, I've had the sobering privilege of visiting with refugees in their sprawling, hopeless camps in Sudan. I have talked with villagers whose lives were destroyed by war in Mozambique and shared meals with families stricken by natural disasters and civil war in Nepal. But even with these one-on-one experiences, I still can't fully understand or feel the pain of something even as basic as hunger, with no food to satisfy it. We each have our own experiences of joy and pain, satisfaction and want, community and loneliness. And we can only try to empathise with those who have lived through things that we have not, good or bad. I'm on a journey, and through God's strength, I plan to do what I can to reduce the pain and suffering in this world. None of us can remove all the suffering on this sin-sick planet, but I pray that I will continue, and every day more so, to relieve suffering wherever I can. It may only be for one person or one village at a time, but I dedicate myself again to passing on God's blessings as he leads me and convicts me. Melinda knows me better than anyone, and she tells me that I tend to forget the bad things that happen to me, but I remember the blessings. I guess that's true. Some years ago I was fortunate enough to read the following proverb, and I'd done my best to live by it. Write the bad things that happen to you in sand, and carve the good things that happen to you in stone. Maybe that's why we only have one record of Jesus ever writing anything while he walked among us. And for his page, he didn't choose the timeless permanence of carved granite, nor the portability of a scroll, but sand. Many of my memories have been blown by the wind and washed away by the waves. Here's what I remember. The blessings. God has blessed me with the knowledge of his plan of salvation. That alone is blessing enough. My beautiful wife, Melinda, a true Proverbs 31 woman. Two great sons. They're smart, funny, artistic, loving and generous. Did I mention my wife? When I count my blessings, I count her twice. A wonderful extended family. Parents, siblings, in-laws. I couldn't ask for better relatives. 
superb health, as long as I keep looking after it. No debts, other than to God and family for the love they've given me, and to those who have sacrificed to make Australia a wonderful nation. A very comfortable, secluded home in the country. An early retirement. I had a goal to be financially independent so that I could retire, focus full-time on unpaid projects, at the age of 30. But I had to settle for retiring in my 30s instead. I'm not expecting any words of sympathy. Exploration. I had vacationed and worked in more than 50 countries before I had to personally pay for an airfare. Respect in the community. Knowing that I am respected by some people, though not necessarily all, is a blessing to me. Blessings upon blessings. I also have some great friends here at home and around the world. I call one of them Texas Bill. Not that he's from there, it's just where he was living when I met him. Bill once came on a business visit for a week and stayed in our home. He ate with us, exercised with us, laughed with us, and because he was on a spiritual search, prayed with us. As I drove him to the airport on his last day in Australia, he looked across at me and said, Julian, never look over the fence and think that the grass is greener on the other side. You're in the green grass right now, man. What a blessing to have a friend who tells you something as important as that. So what are some of the less spoken about outcomes of this seemingly idyllic, super abundantly blessed green grass life? Could such a bounty of blessings ever become a curse? Is there some fine print that's never included in the who wants to be a millionaire promotions? Here are four outcomes that are rarely, if ever, mentioned. Number one, pride of life. The wise reader will know that a very real outcome of having received so many blessings from God is a tendency to become proud of them. If your house, income, car, singing voice, artistic talent or appearance is nicer than someone else's, then there is a very real temptation to be proud of it. While talking about the effect of her wealth and fame on her life, Oprah Winfrey is reported to have said, I still have my feet on the ground, I just wear better shoes. I hope that's true for her, but for me, I just really struggle to keep my feet on the ground and remain truly humble when my shoes, that's my car, house, vacations, lifestyle, are nicer than those of many others. Number two, pride of place. When I'm blessed in a way that others can see, they often, in a very well-meaning way, encourage me to take on positions of leadership. I know full well that being financially secure doesn't make me a better person or better leader, but others see it as some sort of a sign that I should lead, so I often accept the positions. And, again, I'm tempted by pride. Number three, pharisaical tendencies. Having seen the real truth in the contract-like promises of Malachi 3, it is very tempting and almost subconscious to try to ensure continuance of the blessings by giving extra attention to the details of keeping God's laws. The logic is, if I just keep obeying, God will keep blessing. Therefore... If I obey even more strictly, he will bless me even more. It's tempting to try to earn the favour of heaven as a way of somehow guaranteeing continued blessings. Sadly, at these times in life, I often find myself being more judgmental of others and less loving. And number four, self-reliance. This is a big one. 
When God piles the blessings on, it is so very, very easy to start relying on the gifts themselves instead of the giver. Pride, Pharisaism, self-reliance. This terrible trio can not only screw with our relationships and satisfaction, they can also rob us of eternal rewards. Ellen G. White, said to be the most translated woman writer in history and the most translated American author of either gender, wrote a spiritual classic, Christ's Object Lessons. When describing the scene from Luke 18, where the Pharisee and the tax collector are praying at the temple, one standing tall and proud before God, the other bowing low and asking for mercy, White makes the following comment. There is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all sins, it is the most hopeless, the most incurable. Thankfully, she goes on to say, our only safety is in constant distrust of self and dependence on Christ. As strange as it sounds, these three sins that seem to exist in epidemic proportions today, pride, Pharisaism, self-reliance, are curses with blessings as their source. It is important that I take a moment to define my use of the words curse and curses. I'm not using them in the sense of a spell that is placed on someone from an external source or person. To me, the curses that are associated with blessings are the outcome of my own personal misuse of the blessings. The thing that was meant to be holy for my good has become a source of my downfall because of my misuse of it. Another apparent irony is that God's blessings can also lead us into temptation, the temptation to be proud, pharisaical, and self-reliant. But, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. How true it is that God always provides us with a way of escape when we are tempted, if we allow him. Permit me to paraphrase this verse a little, though it's certainly no longer word-for-word scripture. And God is faithful. He will not let you be blessed beyond what you can bear. But when you are blessed, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. With the blessings, he shall also provide a way of escape. Escape from what? The blessings. Why would we ever want to escape from blessings? Because of their potential to become curses. But wouldn't it be better to accept the blessings and then live in such a way that they don't become curses? Absolutely. But 